Marriage is the lifelong union of husband and wife before God and man. It's a special gift from God and should be treated with love and respect. God gave us marriage so that we can learn the hard way that just because someone is cute, it doesn't mean you want to see them every day for the next 70 years. Marriage was invented so that people in heaven could see what a 40-year disagreement about where the remote should be looks like. It was invented so that stand-up comedians could make jokes about toilet seat preferences and so that wives can watch as their strapping young husbands turn into pudgy bald guys that tell the same stories over and over again. Marriage. It's a beautiful thing. These have been... Okay, that's the end of their shallow thought, uh, deep thoughts by a shallow Christian. That uh, was the ending there. Kind of fitting, right? Yeah, well, marriage is a beautiful thing, and hopefully that's what we've been learning over these weeks as we've been in this series, God, Love, uh, Sex. And today we wrap it up. It's the last one in the series. And so we're going to finish out with chapter 8 of the uh, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. So if you brought your Bibles, you need to get to uh, chapter 8. And uh, as we as we finish out uh, this series, just to get you hopefully excited about the next one, is that starting next week then we'll start a new series uh, about miracles. And so we're going to have a miracle summer. We're going to look at some of the miracles uh, that Jesus did in his uh, ministry. So I hope you look forward to that. Uh, but for today, for today, it's uh, God loves sex uh, last edition, and we're going to talk about uh, covenant uh, fidelity. And uh, we're going to go to chapter 8, and uh, we're going to start uh, at the fifth verse of chapter 8. So let's just get right into it. Fifth verse of chapter 8. Uh, we have Solomon's wife speaking here now in the fifth verse. And uh, remember, we've walked with Solomon and his wife now from, you know, the, the first time they saw each other all the way through you know, their, their wedding and their honeymoon and all the way through some challenges and some difficulties. And, and now by the eighth chapter, we're looking at a couple that, you know, they've been married now for a while. And uh, what we see in the eighth chapter is <clears throat> that Solomon's wife starts reflecting on the experience of what it is to be married to Solomon. And so she gives us some clues and so some important kind of things that, that we need to make sure we embed uh, in our marriages and understand uh, about marriage. And some of it's going to be tough today, so be ready. But it starts out with her saying in verse 5 of chapter 8, I aroused you under the apple tree where your mother gave you birth, where in great pain she delivered you. Okay, so here's the translation. The translation is she's thinking about her marriage to Solomon and she's saying, listen, you're the one that God chose for me. Right? That's the whole thing about under the apple tree, your mother gave you birth. Right? I mean, the whole idea is she's looking at her marriage to Solomon and she's saying, wow, God is so incredible that before I was even bef born and before you were even born, that, that God had it on his mind that the two of us would be together in an incredible marriage. Right? And, and that's what she's saying. That's the mentality. She's establishing a, a simple mental truth for herself and for her husband that just says, listen, no matter what's going on in our marriage, there, I've got this conviction about us. And, and the conviction is just simple, that God is the one who, who designed us to be together in marriage. And now that is an important conviction. That is a really important conviction that we Christ followers ought to bring into our marriages, just like Solomon's wife 
That, that when we look at our spouse, we look at our spouse and we understand that's the one. That's the one. That's the one that God chose for me to be with in this experience of marriage. Now, why is that important? Well, it, it's important because to do anything else opens the door of opportunity for our mind to wander into other things like thinking that there could be somebody else out there who may be better. That's not where we want to go, right? That, that's not where our minds ought to go. That's the avenue that the evil one takes in order to lead us down that wide path of destruction in our relationship. And so in our marriages, because we're Christ followers, we need to be able to start with that conviction that says, listen, this is the one. This is the one that God chose for me. And for those of you that aren't married yet, or you're in that dating experience, maybe you're you know, consistently dating somebody, well, you know what? You need to make sure before you make that commitment to marriage that you can make that conviction, that you can make that statement, that you can understand that, yeah, this is the one that God chose for me. Because we Christians, we have this belief that God is actively involved in our everyday life, in all of the circumstances. And as He's actively involved in all the circumstances in our life, that means He's actively involved in our relationships and helping us discover who that one person is. Now, there's an example of that if you go to Genesis 24. And in Genesis 24, you have the experience of Abraham, who's getting kind of up there in years, and he has a son named Isaac, and Isaac is not married yet. And so he gets thinking about it and says, you know what, it's time for Isaac to have a wife. So he calls in his servant and he says, listen, I want you to go back to my homeland because I don't, I don't want him marrying any of the, the women around here, okay? The locals, don't want him marrying any of the locals. He's got to go back. He needs to marry somebody uh, from my clan. He needs to marry somebody who is a God-fearer, okay? So, servant, I want you to go and I want you to find the right wife for my son, Isaac. And, of course, the servant's like, okay. So, like, Isaac's going with me, right? Abraham's response is, no, 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 no. Isaac is staying here because this is the place that God wants us to be. This is the land he's given us. No, Isaac stays here, but you go back and you find the right wife for Isaac. And of course, the servant is a little surprised by this whole opportunity because he makes the argument saying, well, you know, like, shouldn't Isaac go and, you know, kind of be involved in this? And shouldn't Isaac kind of be, you know, kind of choosing and picking and figuring out who the right girl is? And, all? and you know, Abraham is absolutely emphatic and says, no, you go. And how can he do that? If you look at the end of uh, Genesis 24, it says, no, Abraham responded, Isaac's not going. Be careful never to take my son there. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. So Isaac's not going. Now look what he says. He, meaning the Lord God of heaven, he will send his angel ahead of you, and he will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. What is Abraham absolutely convinced of? That God is intimately involved in the experience of bringing the right woman into Isaac's life. It is that same conviction that Solomon's wife has. That our spouse is not just anybody. 
but that our spouse is that person that God chooses to bring into our life. It is that conviction that that person isn't just anybody, but that that person is the gift that God gives to us for a lifetime. You with me? Cool stuff, right? Okay. Well, now we get into more difficult stuff with that. Because as she makes that commitment and says, yeah, this is the one that God has chosen for me, she also understands the, the timeline of the choice. Okay? And so she says in verse 6, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy as enduring as the grave. Love flashes like a fire, the brightest kind of flame. Okay, let's try to unpack that a little bit. Verse 6, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. What she's talking about is that seal that was used in that, in that day uh, with the signet ring, right? You know, the whole, you know, put the wax and put the ring in kind of deal. And, and when, you, when anybody did that, it was a done deal, right? I mean, it was signed, sealed, and delivered, right? And sealed was the important part. Right? It wasn't just signed, but it was sealed. This was a done, absolute commitment. And if you had that, that seal on something, it was a, it was a bound uh, deal. Right? It was absolutely a done deal. And so she's saying, listen, that, this is a done deal. This is a done deal. No going back. No changing the terms. You know, we're in this together. Whatever life holds, Solomon, it's you and I, and, and this is it. It's sealed. She, she's just making that commitment that says, listen, I am absolutely all in in this relationship. And, and there's no alternative. There's no going back. Because you're the one God chose for me, and I'm absolutely all in and committed to this relationship. And the length of the commitment comes in the next, uh, next words when she says, for love is as strong as what? The word is death, right? And its jealousy is enduring as the... Grave, yes, that would fall into that experience when we do weddings and the couple stands up here and they exchange their vows and they always end their vows saying in some form or fashion, what? Hey, honey, we are committed to each other until we just don't like each other anymore. Right, no, that's not what it says. Are you awake out there? Come on, you're listening, right? No, that's not what we say. What do we say? No, we're absolutely committed to this until death do us, you get the deal, right? Yeah, no, that's the commitment, right? That's what she's saying. She listen, this marriage thing, this isn't a partial commitment. This isn't a just till I feel good and then I don't feel good and you know, how, let's see how it goes. I mean, no. This, this is until death do us part. This is an absolute commitment. Now, here's the problem. As I share with that with you today, that simple truth, the reality is that if we believe statistics, it means that right about now, about 50% of you are feeling very uncomfortable. Because 50% of you have already left a covenant relationship of marriage and entered divorce. Therein lies the rub. Because... Solomon and his wife are lifting up for us the absolute commitment of this relationship called marriage. And, and that's the commitment we have. We have that absolute commitment. And, and why is that? 
Well, because God has the same absolute commitment to our marriages. God is all in on our marriages. He is absolutely, utterly all in on our marriages. And we can see that when we get to Malachi 2 and we see the alternative that he absolutely hates. He says, Malachi 2, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Strong word, amen? I mean, when our kids use that word, hate, what do we do? Oh, now, Johnny, please don't. That's a really strong word. Don't use that word. We get really uncomfortable with that word, right? Because it's such a dramatic word. And yet, this is exactly the word that God chooses through his prophet to use when it comes to the experience of covenant relationships of marriage being dissolved. He just simply hates it. There's no getting around it. He just simply hates it. Well, why does he hate it? Why, why does God feel so strongly about that? Well, if you back up in Malachi 2 and you go back up to verse 13, it gives us a sense and an understanding of why God feels so absolutely strongly about our marriages. Here, here's what it says. Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you've been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Well, he wants godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to your wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Why does he hate divorce? Well, he hates divorce because it means a covenant is being rejected. A covenant commitment is failing. And God cannot understand that concept. God, God cannot comprehend the idea that a covenant that he's involved in would fail. And we know that's true, right? God never goes back on his word. He never goes back on his covenant. He never fails in fulfilling all of his promises to us. And so he cannot comprehend the idea that a covenant that he has entered into with us would fail. And when we get married, that's what happens. Marriage for us, for Christ followers, those in relationship with the living God, marriage for us is not a legal contract. Marriage for us is a covenant relationship. And we're making a covenant with this other person, but we're making that covenant also with the living God. And we're saying, listen, it's the three of us in this covenant relationship, and we're all in, and we're all committed. And God is saying, listen, I'm always in. <laughs> I am absolutely always committed. And he hates it because he cannot comprehend that any covenant he's a part of would fail. Make sense? What does it mean for us? Well, Jesus in Matthew 19 was having a dispute with some Pharisees like he often did as they're trying to trap him, and they get onto this subject. 
And here's what happens in Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to him. They tried to trap him with a question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. You see the covenant relationship of three? And so God looks at it and it says, no, that this can't fail. What, what, what I'm a part of, it, it can't fail. And yet the reality is, in our broken world, marriages seem to fail, even among Christians. How can that happen? The Pharisees ask Jesus. They say, well, okay, why then did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Jesus replies, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to what? To your hard hearts. Why did covenant relationships of marriage fail? Not because God's not willing to do his part, but because we're unwilling to do our part. Marriage is that all-in, absolute, total commitment of one person to another with a soft heart that is ready to serve the other person. And when we get hard-hearted, when we get self-focused, when we put ourselves first over and against our spouse, then our relationships of marriage are on a path to destruction. That's what he's saying. When, when we get hard-hearted, then our marriages are on that path to destruction. This is not God's desire. This is not what he wants. But it appears to be the outcome that happens in relationships that fall apart. If you look at Matthew 19 again, he follows it up then with saying a really tough statement. And, and uh, this is a statement that we just don't like. In fact, you know, there used to be that we were on this, this uh, pericope cycle, right? You know, where we'd have lessons you know, every three years we're on a cycle. I used to have families who would not come to church whenever they knew this passage was going to be part of the cycle, right? They just knew it was coming. It was bad attendance day, right? Why? Because we just don't want to hear this. We just don't want to hear this. At least 50% of us don't want to hear this, right? Here's what he says. I tell you this. Whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. Wow, that's hard. That's hard. Now, but think about this. Would any of us have any problem looking in the mirror right now and acknowledging that we are sinful, broken people? (laughs) I have no problem with that for me, I'll tell you that, right? I know what I've done. You know, I know the times I've been unfaithful. I know the times when I've not lived the way God designed me to live and, and done the things that His desire is in my life. I have absolutely no problem looking in the mirror and being able to say, I am absolutely a broken and sinful person. And yet when we hear this verse, it's so hard for us to receive that truth. Isn't it? When it's the truth, we can't avoid the truth. I mean, the difficulty here for us is that the Scripture just lays out the truth. 
Now, if we look further into it, it, it seems that the Scripture even opens up a crack for us of understanding those relationships that fail and a couple simple reasons of, of why those relationships fail. And so he says at the end of it that, you know, I tell you this, anybody who divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. And so here's this crack that says, well, look, relationships are going to probably fall apart if one partner or the other's been, been unfaithful. And, and then there's another one. There's only two instances in Scripture where it opens up that crack to say relationships can fall apart. And here's the second one. It's in 1 Corinthians 7. And the Apostle Paul says, but if the husband or, or wife isn't a believer and they insist on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other. For God has called you to live in peace. What's he doing? What's Scripture doing? But do you see in this experience, especially in this Corinthians passage, that, that Scripture is lifting up for us the relationship of one covenant to another covenant? He's saying, okay, well, there is this covenant of marriage. Yes, absolutely. But you know what? Sometimes that covenant is going to fail. Not, not because God doesn't do his part, but because we don't do ours. And sometimes that covenant's going to fail. But, but there's another covenant. There, there's another covenant. And that covenant is a higher covenant to live in peace. And so let the other partner go. Let him go. Because you're called to another covenant as well. And that covenant is to live in peace. Now, what does this look like? There's some practical things. For instance, it seems... The scripture would give us absolute permission to be able to say, if you are in an abusive relationship, get out. If, if you're in a relationship, especially of physical abuse, this is not where God wants you to be. Don't stay in this relationship for the sake of the kids. Get out. You, you have a higher covenant that you're responsible to. Nobody should tolerate that kind of relationship. Now, does it mean that that partner can't get help? Does it mean that partner can't get restored? Does it mean that partner can't have a miracle of healing happen in their life and your marriage get restored? But you know what? It does not mean that you stay there and you take the abuse. There's a higher relationship. There's a higher covenant. And this is what we rely on. We rely in our brokenness on the truth and the reality of a higher covenant. And here it is in Matthew 26. So for all you folks that so far have been sitting there feeling pretty uncomfortable because God just said, listen, if you're a divorced person, you've committed adultery. That is, if you're a divorced person, you're outside his design. If you're a divorced person, you've committed sin. Okay? Here's, here's the deal. Welcome to the club and look at a different covenant. You ready? And he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it, and he gave it to them, and he said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. Does God ever fail a covenant? No, he never fails a covenant. He always fulfills a covenant. This confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to do what? To, say it with me, forgive the sins of many. That'd be me. That'd be you. Regardless of what that sin is. 
there is a greater covenant. Listen, God's always going to hate when that covenant relationship of marriage falls apart. But God is also a faithful God who's making a covenant with us that says he is also ready and willing to forgive us and to renew us. Now, none of that gives us permission to put divorce on the table when we hit a few problems in our relationships, right? I mean, I mean the truth, go back to the beginning, is that for a, for a relationship of marriage within a Christian couple, divorce should never be on the table. That's not an option for us. The trouble is, it's never an option, but it may be an outcome. It's never an option, but it may be an outcome. And when it becomes that outcome, we rely on the goodness and the grace of God. For Solomon and his wife, it was to understand, to be able to make that commitment that says, no, listen, this is the one God chose for me. And, and to make that commitment and say, listen, I am all in. I am absolutely all in until death parts us. That's the covenant. That's the commitment. And then she wraps it up with verse 7 saying, Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. If a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. What she's saying. Listen, <laughs> marriage is not easy. Hopefully you've, you've walked over these weeks talking about, you know, God loves sex, and, and you've figured out marriage is work, and it is an absolute commitment. And marriage is going to have its challenges, and it's going to have its discouragements, and it's going to have those things that feel like waters that are overwhelming and floods that are taking over. But Solomon's wife wants you to understand, listen, God is absolutely committed to the covenant of your marriage. And if you give your marriage to Christ, He will overcome the obstacles. If you give your marriage to Christ, He will do what you can't do. If you give your marriage to Christ, He has the opportunity to make our marriages absolutely priceless, beyond compare. That's His dream. That's the covenant. That's what He wants, is that our marriages would be absolutely incredible. Just like the incredible marriage of Solomon and his wife. And so chapter 8 comes to an end with Solomon saying something and his wife saying something. And Solomon says, Oh my darling, lingering in the gardens, your companions are fortunate to hear your voice. <laughs> Let me hear it too. And his wife respond, responds, Come away, my love. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. And the book ends. How's it end? It ends with them absolutely committed to one another. In a covenant relationship, trusting that God will continue to allow their marriage to flourish and be everything he wants it to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for incredible truth that uh, our marriages, when we give them to you, can be more than, than we can imagine. They can be priceless. And in those times of discouragement and trouble, help us to rely on you and, and to give our marriages absolutely and completely to you because we know with you we can overcome the challenge. And Lord, sometimes, even though it's not on the table, it becomes an outcome 
that our marriages get dissolved. And so, Lord, all we can do then is say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive us. Renew us. Give us new life. Help us to move forward. So, Lord, we come to you today and we ask, bring your blessing upon all that we do in our relationships of marriage. Prepare those who are dating and courting and get them with eyes wide open to understand the one that you have chosen for them and help our commitments always to be all in. All in for you and all in for one another. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.